Turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 8, continuing again in this great book, great chapter of a great book, great section of a great chapter. You get the point. Romans chapter 8 is our focus this morning, and we will read verses 18 through 27. Really, in many ways, the passage we're reading today is just the first half Um, We could have looked at all of the rest of the chapter under one heading, but there's just too much material there to really digest on a Sunday morning, so split it where we did, but what we are considering this week and the next is glorious truth from God's Word. So here now, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not, for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for his help once again. Father in heaven, open our eyes to bring forth wondrous things from your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes you don't know if you're going to reach your destination. On January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 took off from New York City's LaGuardia Import, excuse me, Airport, en route to Charlotte, and immediately struck a flock of birds, killing the power to the engines. And since they were climbing from a low altitude, they couldn't reach an airport for an emergency landing. Couldn't turn around and go back. Couldn't divert to another airport. They were still in the climb, which is the most dangerous part of a flight. And so the pilots, Chelsea Sully Sullenberger and Jeffrey Skiles, glided the powerless airplane to the nearest runway they could find. And what was that? The Hudson River in New York City. If you ever listen to the audio, Sully is so cool and calm. We're going to be in the Hudson. He just says it, but that's what you get from an experienced, prepared pilot. But nonetheless, they still had to pull off a powerless dead stick landing on a river, which isn't something you do very 
often, but they landed on the Hudson. And all 155 people on board survived the landing. And they were rescued by nearby boats. There were only a few serious injuries from the whole incident, which of course has come to be known as the miracle on the Hudson. Now, I don't want to imagine for a moment what those people felt on that plane during that whole ordeal. I don't know if you in your life have even ever come close to that. I mean, even after surviving the landing, they may have still been fearful. You're evacuating a plane floating in a river. But as we've already said, every occupant on that flight survived. Every person made it back home. And in fact, many of them were traveling for business. The next day, they got back on a plane and eventually reached their business destination. They continued the journey. For a moment, there was uncertainty. But in the end, they eventually reached their destination. Romans 8 is all about God's promises to you that you will reach your destination. And all of the tools, all of the blessings, all of the benefits God gives you to get you to that destination. And we've been comparing this chapter to Israel's journey to the promised land. Paul hints at that and gives us that image. And last week we talked about how the Spirit guides us, how the Spirit leads us, and so how the Spirit protects us as we undertake this journey. And this week, we want to take another step and realize that Paul emphasizes how the Spirit even carries us, even guarantees that we make it home to our final destination. Because you see, there are points in our journey where we don't know what comes next. We, we can't see around the corner. We don't know maybe if we'll arrive at the destination, but the Spirit is there. And the Spirit is there to guarantee that we make it all the way home to God's glorious new creation. So for those reasons, let's give our attention again to Romans 8 this morning. Let's look at this passage because it shows us how we arrive, how we make it to God's glorious new creation. And the passage will highlight three works of the Spirit, three things the Spirit does to make sure We make it home. And the first is this. The Spirit convinces us a glorious creation is coming. Sometimes at the start of the journey, sometimes all you need is someone at the start to tell you, don't worry, you're going to make it through this. And that is what the Spirit does. Verse 18 supplies that main idea when Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, when Paul refers to suffering, he's hooking into the previous section, the previous verse, which described us as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The Christian walks the same path as our Lord, through suffering unto glory. And here Paul states in verse 18, that is actually a good path. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to come. 
Now, how can Paul make a statement like that? Well, in order to understand the significance of this statement and how it bears on suffering, we need to process what Paul says in the next three verses. Because there he talks about the current creation and the coming new creation. So let's look at those and we'll circle back to verse 18. Verses 19 through 20 read this way. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Now some of that may sound familiar, because Paul is tapping into Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and the story of creation, fall, and God's promise of restoration. When God created the earth, it was very good. And on the sixth day, as the crowning act of creation, he made humans in his image, male and female. And he told this first couple, fill and subdue the earth. So the Bible, especially Genesis 1, gives us this picture of Adam and Eve as the king and queen of creation. They will advance God's work in God's world. God took what was formless and empty and he shaped it into a beautiful world. And now Adam and Eve have a job to do. Develop that world. Spread my glory, which you enjoy here in the garden. Spread that glory into the creation. Well, at least that was the plan. But instead of following God's blueprint, the blueprint he then lays out in Genesis 2 about eating from the tree and subduing the earth and naming the animals. Instead of following that blueprint, Adam and Eve sin against God. And they decide, we'll do what's wise in our own eyes. We'll listen to the voice of the serpent. And the result is a curse on God's good creation. Now the creation fights against the humans. Now the humans fight with one another. And there are barriers and frustrations in the attempt to govern God's world. But with the curse came a promise. And Paul alludes to this at the end of verse 20 and into verse 21 when he writes, In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The creation was subjected to frustration, but it was subjected with the hope that one day it will be liberated. And that liberation is what we are journeying towards. New heavens, new earth, and new creation. So now I'll come back to verse 18. In Paul's statement, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Something better, something glorious is coming. And notice that Paul affirms the reality of present suffering. We still inhabit a fallen creation. There are still trials that affect us. That can be sickness and death, the effects of the fall. That can be frustration 
as you try to accomplish things. You've got goals, things you want to do. Maybe even there are things for God. You can't always do it. Why? The world doesn't work the way it's supposed to all the time. There are still those thorns and thistles. And this can be struggles with sin or the opposition of evil. All those things, one way or the other, cause the Christian to suffer, cause the Christian to groan. But Paul also affirms then the reality of a coming glory. He calls it in verse 19, the revelation of the children of God. Or verse 21, liberation of the creation from bondage and decay and the freedom and glory of the children of God. And lastly, verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. Paul is saying we have a resurrection hope. New, transformed, glorified bodies. And that resurrection coincides with God's restoration of everything. God's renewal of the entire creation. The whole curse on sin will be undone. And God's people will inhabit his new creation with these new bodies. And that coming glory is far greater than our present sufferings. And here's the question I've been driving at. How could anyone come to that conclusion while living in this world and experiencing what you see? How could someone have hope for something that is better? By the Spirit. By the Spirit convincing you that it is so. By the Spirit through the Word and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ showing you That God's glorious future is coming and is better than what you enjoy now. In this paragraph, I'll grant you these verses, they don't mention specifically the Spirit, but He's in all the verses before and He's in all the verses after. So He's the one giving you the hope of this coming glory. In fact, when the Spirit renews your heart, When the Spirit first convinces you that these things are so, Paul elsewhere calls that a new creation and a resurrection. So what the Spirit has already done for you, that's a foretaste. That's an anticipation. That's a guarantee of what he will do for creation on the last day. And I ask you, friends, this morning, do you have that expectation? And does that hope ground you? There is hope available in this world. You can have hope now when you suffer because there is the promise of a glorious new creation. And you can't get there on your own. You can't grind your way to it. You need Jesus to bring you there. You need the Spirit to get you there. But you don't have to go through life without that hope. And by the way, friends, that also means then we should not be too proud to groan. Paul offers this hope to those who suffer, to those who groan. He doesn't say, he he doesn't offer the hope to people who say, you know, I got this. I'm strong. Stiff upper lip. I don't need that crutch. crutch." We, We should all have a sense of groaning in this life. A groaning that looks forward to a coming restoration where there is hope alongside of our groaning. Which brings me then to the second work of the Spirit. The Spirit supplies hope. 
as we wait for this glorious creation. So he convinces you that it's coming, and he gives you hope while you wait. And that's in the second paragraph, verses 22 through 25. Similar ideas here, but they do dig a little deeper. Uh, So look first at verses 22 and 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So again, we're faced with that reality of suffering. The whole creation is groaning, groaning with the pains of childbirth. And that's serious pain, not just a few bumps in the road. That's intense frustration at the moral or the physical infirmities that plague God's creation. But in the midst of that frustration, God invades you with hope. He supplies the Spirit as the first fruits of a coming redemption. And that language, first fruits, is farming imagery. The first of the crop to yield. But when the Bible uses that word, it always uses it to make a spiritual point. And it's this. There's an unbreakable connection between the beginning of a process and the end of the process. So the spirit that you have now guarantees the redemption of your body and creation then. That's why Paul employs that language of first fruits. It's a guarantee. And notice, by the way, Paul calls the redemption of our bodies our adoption to sonship. Now, wait a minute. In last week's passage, Paul says we are God's adopted children now. Here he says we will be God's adopted children then. Which is it? It's both and. We are God's adopted children now. That is your position And we will fully enjoy that position and be manifested for the whole world to see us as God's adopted children then. Again, what you enjoy now guarantees completion then. And by the way, friends, notice how all of this talk of sonship and the Spirit, it takes us right back to where we started in Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because the Spirit has set us free from sin and death and the Son has condemned sin in the flesh by sacrificing Himself. Who brings about your salvation now? Who guarantees the life to come? The Son and the Spirit. And that is a story that Paul has been telling through all of Romans. That's how he kicked this great letter off. When he said, my gospel focuses on God's son. And in his earthly life, he was a descendant of David. And he is now, through the spirit, appointed son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And through him and through you, God is calling the nations to obey the faith. And Romans tells a fantastic story of how God has rescued this whole human program by His grace for His glory. So that story that got off track through human rebellion, it's been rescued. 
God didn't ball up the paper and throw it away and say, let's figure out what to do next. He rescued the plan. And he advanced the plan. And he did it through God's Son. He did it through God's Spirit. The Son is now reigning. The Spirit is calling the nations. And you are being a part of that. You're being squeezed into the mold of that plan by the hope supplied by the Spirit. And so Paul writes in verses 24 and 25, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The Spirit supplies the hope that enables you to patiently endure until you obtain what is promised. You don't have it yet. You can't even see it yet. That's why Paul calls it hope. But it's not just a wish. Paul says we are saved in hope. Saved in hope. Which means it has an aspect of confidence to it. It does do something now. And yet you're also hoping for what you don't yet have. Which means, by the way, there will be longing in the Christian life. Do you ever feel like there are unfulfilled longings? Do you experience that frustration? Do you experience groaning as the earlier verses said? That is a part of already living in God's creation, being God's new creation, and yet not fully having God's new creation. There's just some built-in longing there. And it will only be satisfied by God the Spirit now, and then waiting and obtaining eventually God's new creation then. But just notice, God says he enables us to wait for it patiently. And and full honesty, that's the part I don't like. I, I can wait as long as it's a short wait or as long as I can complain while I wait. But that's not the blueprint that's laid out for us here, is it? We wait for it patiently with hope. Which is why we need this community. Because this is the community where we can hope and wait and work and grown together. And so one last work of the Spirit deserves our attention. The Spirit intercedes for us as we stumble to this glorious creation. Paul writes in verses 26 and 27, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And here we have one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture. As we make our way to God's new creation... Sometimes our suffering and groaning and frustration are so overwhelming that we don't even know how to pray. And when that's the case, the Spirit intercedes for you. Now, how does that work? Well, first you have this situation in which we do not know what we ought to pray for. 
And again, maybe that's a situation where you're, you're so overwhelmed, you don't know how to pray. You, you can't find the strength. You can't find the clarity. You, you can't articulate your prayer. Or you're praying in great anguish. Think Hannah praying there at the tabernacle in First Samuel. Or maybe it's just a situation where you're just unsure of God's will. You just don't know what to pray for. What should I, what should I do here? And I, I don't even know what to pray for or what to ask for. I don't know how to approach God about this issue. That happens. We're limited. We can't always discern what God is doing. We're unsure about the best route to take. Or again, even how to pray about the best route to take. And we get worried. Okay, well, what if I do this wrong? Or what if I make the wrong decision? What if I don't pray about this the right way? It is in those situations where the Spirit prays for you. The end of verse 26 tells us, The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The NLT is helpful here. The Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. When we can't put our prayers into words, or we can't put them into the right words, the Spirit has his own language of prayer. And then notice the last piece of the puzzle in verse 27. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, this is God who's searching your heart. So God can search your heart. You've got groanings. You don't know the right words. So God's searching your heart. And then God is searching the mind of the Spirit. And so he can take your limited prayers, he can search your hearts to discern the true motive, the true desire, the true request, the right thing to say, and then he can listen to the intercession of the Spirit, who puts the words to your prayers that you can't, and he puts the whole thing together, because he's God, and he knows his will all along. Which means then that you don't have to pray just right, or get the words just right, or even the felt motives just right, or the timing just right. Friends, just pray. And God the Spirit will intercede. And in the end, God's will will be done. And and don't omit any part of the process. You say, oh, in the end, God's will will be done. It doesn't matter. No, God says pray. And when you pray, the Spirit will intercede, and God will do His will. It is a beautiful picture of everything working together for God's will and God's glory. And listen to these benefits then as we bring this to a conclusion. First, maybe you're younger. And maybe prayer is one of those things that just feels so hard to do. What do I say? How do I word it? What am I supposed to feel when I get up from this time of prayer? Maybe some of you adults feel that way. Again, just pray. Just get before God and pray, and the Spirit will intercede for you. Second, I've described this intercession of the Spirit as something God does when we don't know how to pray. And the way I phrased it, it might almost sound like, okay, this is something that only happens when you're really desperate. But notice Paul just says in verse 26, we do not know what we ought to pray for. There's a sense in which Paul says, this is just the reality. We never know how to pray properly. We never get it 
just right. And, and I phrased it the way I did because I wanted to put a particular focus on it. I wanted to draw our attention to it. And I do think there are times maybe when we feel this need stronger than at other times. And maybe we take more comfort in this promise when we're feeling overwhelmed. But if you look at the passage, we can just thank God, this is the ordinary work of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit is doing for us all the time. So third, zooming out and just looking at the passage as a whole. Notice how creation affirming this passage is set within the context of the work of the Spirit. The hope is for the liberation of creation. So the expectation, by the way, is not that the creation will just blow up one day and go away. It's that God will renew it, that God will remake it, that he will set it free from its decay. Which means that you, as a new creature in Christ... The work you do now here has meaning. It has significance. When you use your gifts and your calling, your vocation, and you do it rightly to improve God's world, it has significance and meaning. And it is integrated with the spiritual. You are a new creature by the Spirit. You are living under the lordship of Christ and calling people to submit to that lordship as well. And you are journeying towards a new creation, working for the renewal of God's world while you groan and while you wait. So don't take those and compartmentalize them. It's one integrated package of the Christian life under the lordship of Christ. Don't withdraw from the world. Engage the world. Enjoy this world. Use its gifts without making an idol of them. And lastly, notice the compatibility, one more time, of suffering and hope. Perhaps when we suffer, we don't think God is at work. Or we're thwarting his work because of how we're feeling or acting or not doing it just right. The promise of this passage is that when you're at your weakest, the spirit is the most at work. And that weakness and that dependence is what builds expectation For the life to come. Again, verse 19, we wait in eager expectation. It's the idea of craning one's neck to see or standing on tiptoe. Like maybe some of your children did when they were younger waiting for you to come home from work. Trying to peer through the door to see has mom or dad pulled in the driveway yet. The more you suffer, the more you look longingly and with hope down that road towards your final redemption. And it's starting to come into view. Like driving to a major city, you can kind of see the skyline there. There is an eternal glory that far outweighs light and momentary affliction, but we're still waiting for it. And so the suffering and the comfort of the Spirit now, that's exercising your spiritual muscles so that you live with hope now So that you work in God's world, you encourage others to join you on the journey, and you persevere towards the end while carried along by the Spirit. And He'll carry you until you arrive in His glorious new creation. Let's give thanks for that as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the work of the Spirit and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the care of our Heavenly Father. Please increase our hope. 
in the perfection of your plan and your purpose, which does not fail, and help us to trust the work of the Spirit as we journey to depend on the Spirit, to be carried by the Spirit, to work by the Spirit's enabling, and to bear fruit as we began this whole section in Romans with the hope that when we suffer, we are made strong and the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. Do that work for all of us in whatever situation we need. Do it for our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.